The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey, this is Alexis Haynes, and welcome to Recovering from Reality, where I illuminate the messy and magical path of coming home to yourself. Whether you're on the road to recovery, seeking self-care techniques for surviving the capitalist machine, or just need a moment to remember that you're not alone in your loneliness, we're serving up the ultimate truth. Your challenges don't define you. How you deal with them does. So, are you ready to recover from reality? We sometimes have, you know, fears of rejection, maybe based on experiences you had in the past. So even though we're adults and we're mature and we have life experience, no one wants to be rejected. And at at any point where you're demonstrating an interest to another woman, like, hey, I like you, I think you're cool. There is the risk that she does not feel the same way. And a lot of us don't feel like we'd be mentally or emotionally strong enough to absorb that rejection, even though rejection is a part of the friend making process. But for a lot of us, we're totally immobilized by the possibility that she might say no, even though most times people are relieved that you took the initiative because they're actually looking for connection too. That was a quick clip from this week's episode with friendship coach and speaker, Danielle Jackson. I heard Danielle on the What Day Is It podcast. My friends Jackie and Bailey had her on and I never knew that I would need a friendship coach, but it just makes sense. I feel like for most of us adults, especially adult women, it's really hard to make and maintain friendships. I know for me, friendships have come and go. And as my friend Uta says, people are in our lives for a reason, a season or a lifetime. But good quality friendships are really important. And Danielle helps you to navigate those friendships in a way that is productive. Just like we carry so much of our childhood into our romantic relationships, we also do into our friendships. And Danielle and I this week dive deep into how to make friends, how to maintain these relationships, the do's and don'ts, all of the things. And I get pretty vulnerable and share about a friendship breakup that recently happened that completely flipped my world upside down. It hurt. It still hurts to this day. It's been months and it still hurts. It feels like I'm grieving someone's death and they're not even dead. But yeah, friendships are hard to navigate. Danielle is the expert. And so with that, I'm very grateful to have her on. And here is this week's episode with Danielle Jackson. I heard you on What Day Is It? And I was like, I have to have her on the podcast. Because so often when we're talking about relationships, we're talking about romantic relationships. And we get a lot of probably pretty bad advice about marriage and how to be married and all of the things um, I'm sure, which is in part contributes to such high divorce rates here in the U S I'm sure. But I don't think anyone really ever taught me. And I don't know if you were taught this about how to really have like lasting quality friendships. And as a mother today who has two daughters I am working really hard to help them navigate. I mean, I want them to become amazing human beings, of course. And a part of that is like learning how to like 
navigate friendships and how to advocate for yourself and also how to see your part in things and how to do all of these really tricky things that I certainly was never taught growing up. And I think that for me right now, my daughter is navigating the end of a friendship that she's had since she was two. It's her very best friend. And that relationship is with the mother of that child, who I consider to be my best friend, as a result is also ending. And I've been grieving that for like months. And it hurts. It hurts so bad. And I'm and I as I'm reflecting, I'm like, all of this could have been avoided. All of this could have been avoided if we had the skills in place to be a good friend. So I would love for you to tell my audience a little bit of background about how you got into this work. Yeah, yeah. And I appreciate everything you're saying. I've heard it before. And, you know, women saying like, how did we figure this out? I don't think I ever learned. I don't think any of us did. And maybe that's the problem. So you're right. You know, I actually fell into this work. And so normally I think people are are like, oh, you know, did you sign up to become a friendship coach? Like after college, it was certainly not a thing at all at that time. Um, so I was actually a high school English teacher for six years. And while I was there, you know, I had juniors and seniors. And so I would hear some of the drama between classes where they'd come to me to unofficially coach them after school. And I didn't realize that's what I was doing, but that's what I was doing. And then I made the foolish mistake of assuming that when I would leave the classroom and I got into public relations, I thought, oh, I'm probably leaving all that like drama behind. But then here I am talking to very high powered, smart, ambitious women, and they are confiding in me their issues with creating and maintaining friendships, maybe because they're so career focused or now they've had kids and they've lost their way. And I went home one night after a a meeting with a client and out of curiosity, I went on Amazon and I searched friendship books. And at the time there was nothing. And the few search results that did come back were geared toward children. And I thought, oh, okay, so that's what we think of friendship, that it's something a kid would need help with, but there's nothing for adults because the assumption is, I mean, really, you need help with your friends. That should be something that's just so natural to you. And so that's kind of when I became obsessed. So this was maybe about three, four years ago now. And I got certified to coach. I already had my education background as a teacher. And I just conducted a lot of my own research on female friendship and interviewing psychologists. And it just became an obsession. So, you know, I was embarrassed at first to call myself a friendship coach. You know, friends didn't take me seriously and people kind of laughed about it. And, you know, to fast forward now, you know, recently I, I, it's such a blessing recently. Um, I got a six figure book deal to write about, you know, coaching and female friendships. And so to think that three years ago, it was not a thing. And now people are like, let me look for a friendship coach is really awesome. And so, um, so I appreciate being able to do this work and women come to me with everything from issues on how to make friends. That's probably number one, the hands down question, how to grieve a friendship loss or how to have a conversation with a friend that you know is getting in the way of your closeness and you're tired of holding it in, but you don't even know how to freaking start. And so those are the main things I can help women with. And so far, it's been a really fun journey. Yeah. You know, I'll start with the fact that I really, I was researching this and I read a whole article. I think it was like in the New York Times. And it was like, you're not crazy. Making friendships in adulthood is very, very hard. (laughs) this whole article and I'm like, it's so true. You know, for me, 
I think that when I was younger, I grew up in a very chaotic, traumatic household. And so maintaining friendships was really hard for me just because of the instability. But I always idolized like the girls who like I, I have a, you know, I'd call her like a, a friend, but she's not, we're not close, but she still is friends with all of her friends from middle school and high school. And I'm like, what is that like? Because I didn't have that. So I guess question number one is, why is it so hard making friendships in adulthood? Yeah. Well, that's number one, the hands down question. It's always, how do I make friends? But it typically comes with some kind of qualifier. So people want to know, how do I make friends as a new mom? How do I make friends as an introvert? How do I make friends as a woman in a new city? And so it always comes with some kind of qualifier, but I hope that that shows us that we will always be needing to make new friends. It is not something that you should have gotten in high school. You did it once. Now you've got your friends for the next 40 years. doesn't work like that. We're always thrown in circumstances. You know, maybe we, you know, evolve, which a lot of your, you know, your podcast and content speaks to, you know, seeing things in a new way and trying to see things soberly and clearly. And so if you go through that process, inevitably, you're probably going to need new people in your circle who support the 2.0 version of you. So we'll always be having to do it. I think the reason why friendship making is challenging in adulthood is one, we were never really taught to do it. Uh, The extent of the public dialogue around friendships is either you have friends or you don't. And if you don't, what's wrong with you? And that's it. And so it's like, well, how am I supposed to figure this out? Uh, Number two, I think there's a little embarrassment around not knowing and you feel like you should have already known and you're comparing to the girls who have a whole squad and you're like, what's wrong with me that I don't have that? And so I think there's a little shame around that too. I think for women, especially, we sometimes have, you know, fears of rejection, maybe based on experiences you had in the past. So even though we're adults and we're mature and we have life experience, no one wants to be rejected. And at at any point where you're demonstrating an interest to another woman, like, hey, I like you, I think you're cool. There is the risk that she does not feel the same way. And a lot of us don't feel like we'd be mentally or emotionally strong enough to absorb that rejection, even though rejection is a part of the friend-making process. But for a lot of us, we're totally immobilized by the possibility that she might say no, even though most times people are relieved that you took the initiative because they're actually looking for connection too. You know, we don't realize that. I think it's also because to be totally frank, I think some of us get really picky in adulthood and we think we know exactly what we want. And we're looking for a woman with like the same sense of humor and her kids like my kids and she's cool. And like, we get really, really picky. And so let's say we do have one coffee date with a woman and we're looking forward to it, but she says something and we're like, eh, then we'll say, okay, well, on to the next one. And it's interesting because I've noticed within the romantic context, sometimes with dating, we'll give multiple chances. But with friendship, we're like, ah, you're kind of secretly auditioning her to be your best friend. And if she does not hit all the marks in the first interaction, we're on to the next one. And so, you know, there's a lot of different things. I think our introversion, fear of rejection, pickiness, some of us are cynical. And then some of us feel like we don't have time. I'd probably say that's the last reason we say, I I don't have time for all that. And then simultaneously we'll speak to how lonely we feel. And I'm like, well, the two don't go together. And so I think we've got a couple personal issues and cultural issues that contribute to friend making being difficult in adulthood, but it's certainly possible. And I see people do it every day. I think it's just, we have to deal with some mindset stuff first, like with anything else. 
the new year is a great time to focus on what's most important to you, whether that's saving money by ordering less takeout, learning how to cook, or prioritizing your wellness. HelloFresh is here to help with endless options to make cooking at home simple and enjoyable. HelloFresh delivers pre-portioned ingredients to your door, including farm fresh produce that arrives within a week so you get convenience without skipping on quality. Skip a trip to the grocery store, saving you the wait in line and ensuring that you don't waste money on excess food. HelloFresh cuts back on the time spent in your kitchen. This is probably the most important thing to me as a busy mom. Um, so you can spend it on your other resolutions and you can have meals ready in about 30 minutes or less. Plus quick and easy meals, including 20 minute recipes and low prep and easy cleanup options provide even a faster route to putting food on the table. HelloFresh is 72% cheaper than a restaurant meal of the same quality and you can save on average over $65 a month when you order HelloFresh instead of going grocery shopping. That's more money to put towards the other 2022 goals that you might have. I personally love meal delivery services. HelloFresh has been an incredible thing for my family. I love the convenience of it. Right now, you can go to HelloFresh.com slash Reality16 and use code Reality16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. Again, that's HelloFresh.com slash Reality16 and use code Reality16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. All of the spirit, none of the booze. Gaia is a non-alcoholic aperitif made with only good ingredients combined to keep you calm and connected. There's no sugar added, no fake flavor, and this is not your traditional mocktail. It's a grown-up indulgence that tastes like summer on the rocks. Gaia's goal is to change the way that we think about drinking and socializing one night off at a time. Gaia was the first non-alcoholic brand in history to win Esquire's Drink of the Year Award and also won a BevNet Best of 2021 Award for their RTD category debut. The aperitif is Gaia's hero product and is both bright and bitter with hints of citrus and florals with a transparent formula and health-forward ingredients including gentian root, lemon balm, fig, elderflower, and no added sugar. La Spritz is a ready-to-drink single-serve can that features Gaia's signature formula, available in two flavors: Gaia Soda for bright and Gaia Soda for a bright and bitter bite, and Gaia Ginger for a soft and slow burn. Our first love just made more portable. Gaia's here for a good time and a long time. For twenty percent off your first sip, go to Drink Gaia. That's G-H-I-A dot com and use code reality at checkout. You can also text the hotline 707-TXT-G-H-I-A. That's 707-898-4442 if you have any questions. Always real humans on the line to help you out. Again, that's drinkaya.com using code reality for 20% off your purchase. I talk about this cultural issue a lot um, where it's like we're living in a a society that really values the individual and instills individualism over. Mm -hmm. Yes. We end up suffering. And part of it is the mindset that's been drilled into us and what we've been modeled. And part of it too, is that there really 
for most of us who are just like grinding every day, there isn't that much space for community. It's, it's sad. It's like, it's something that we need that would make our lives easier, but has actually become vastly more difficult, just like technology, right? Like technology was created to make our lives easier. And in a lot of ways, it's made it so much more challenging. And so I feel like, yeah, there is this definite piece of like people thinking, oh, I don't need this. I'm 40. I should, you know, this is, I'm married. I have kids. They're my priority. That's all that I need. And some of the most, you know, in the most challenging moments of my life in adulthood, the people who have gotten me through that are my friends. And I need them. It really, it does. It takes a team. And I also will say in regards to like having a healthy relationship and marriage, if your only friend is your partner, I think that's a recipe for disaster personally. Like if your partner is your confidant and you're treating them just like your girlfriends, then I don't know how sustainable that is going to be long-term. Yeah. Uh-huh. I mean, a hundred percent to what you're saying, I've heard echoed so many times. I think the first problem is seeing friendship as a nice to have and not a need to have. And so what we often do with our lives, and I'm going to say specifically American culture, because when I coach women who are from different cultures, it's kind of different. So specifically in American culture, we tend to prioritize things that make us money. And we prioritize, you know, like my family obligations and we'll get to the friend stuff when I get to it. We tend to put that in the margins of our lives. But at one point having friends, making friends was essential. I mean, even when you were younger, you know, you were told, all right, well, go make a new friend today. Like go make friends. That was your job as a young person was to make friends, have friends. And now it almost seems like, well, you know, I'm a hustler, I'm a grinder, I'm a mom, like I have things to do. I don't have time for that. And um, that just makes me sad, I think, because there is just way too much research that speaks to uh, the physical, mental, and emotional effects of having a strong social network. So ironically, we'll say, you know, work comes first or family comes first. But even, you know, if we're talking moms specifically, they struggle with the mom guilt of walking away so that they can invest in their friendships and they feel like they're doing something fun and they should get back to what they, their responsibilities. You know, but my argument to that is one, your kids need to see you model friendship. How am I going to tell you, go out there, you know, be nice, Here's how you socialize and you never see mommy with her friends. That doesn't make any sense. And two, you have to start to realize that they need that good version of you coming home. They need to have you go have a good phone call with a girlfriend or have a nice night out with girls and come back feeling like charged up. You like tapped into that version of yourself. The family benefits from mom being with her friends every now and then and you getting it out there, you know, and to your point about having your partner be like your main person that's just tricky. It's a lot of pressure for that person. Sometimes I think at the, at the root of any romantic relationship should be friendship. You know, you shouldn't be into somebody because they like you and they flatter you. You should be like, man, like this person's a good friend to me. So friendship should be at the root of that. But as far as that pressure or expectation of them to be the person for all the things, it's kind of a lot. And so, you know, it's okay that you get a lot of things from this person, but you also have it supplemented by other things that other people naturally give you that this person just can't. And I think, you know, there's even research that says those are happier couples who have strong friendships and they don't just put it on each other. And so um, we, it, it really does start with seeing friendship as something that is not a luxury. It is essential. And I think it starts there. Absolutely. You know, my husband is 
a hundred percent my best friend. Like we get along so well. We just like get each other. He's my confidant, all of those things. But I realized that in those moments where I'm struggling in motherhood or where I'm struggling in areas of my life that like he just does not understand because he has a male perspective, it is not helpful to go to him (laughs) and want to discuss these things. It just really isn't. And while he's great at like holding space for me and being really understanding, yeah, I also had to realize, you know, that he has his own life and his own stuff and I can't use him as my only confidant. You touched on something in the beginning that I thought was really profound. And that was about like personal evolving and evolution. And I will say that for me, as someone who has had a lot of growth in the last decade, it's been a lonely road because I have lost a lot of friends just based off of my growth. And that's not to say that they're bad people. It's not to say that they're, you know, not worthy of my friendship. But what I realized is that the more that I started living authentically, tapping into vulnerability, learning how to communicate, figuring out what I valued, what my values and my vision for my life was, a lot of those people just didn't fall into place. And I also recognized with this most recent friendship that, you know, ended was that, you know, some people just still have a lot of work to do. And that's okay. They can do that work on their own time when they're ready to do it. But I can't fix or change people in in order to like maintain a friendship. I just can't do it. And the things that were done were hurtful. And now it's like, okay, I have to make the choice to move on. And so it's been lonely. It's been really painful. And I love to talk about that grieving part. And you know what's also, I will say on the other end of that, because I don't want people to hear that and then to go, oh, okay, this is lonely and you're not going to have friends if you do self-work, right? It's like, no, there have been friends, one of my closest friends that I've known since third grade, who we had probably a good like eight year gap where we did not talk at all because my growth, and she's expressed this to me, threatened all of the things that she knew about herself. Like seeing me grow hurt her and was illuminating pain points in her that she was not ready to look at yet. And so she backed away from the friendship and it was extremely painful. I thought about her for years and years and, you know, up until the point where one day she called me and just owned that. Right. And now we're back to being great friends. And like, we know how to communicate and we know how much space we need from each other. And we know all of the little things of it, but So it's not to say that like people will always be out of your life. It's just that, yeah, you go through different seasons. Um, I've said this on the podcast before, but I really do believe that people come into our life for a reason, a season or a lifetime. And I don't know what that's going to be in any of my relationships. The lifetime relationships are, I think, very few, but they're quality. But that doesn't mean that the grief doesn't hurt. Like it's been months and I'm still, I'm still hurting. I still cry about it. Like I feel very emotional, very sad. I look at it and I'm like, God, all of this was avoidable. All of this was avoidable. And yet here we are. So what are those kind of steps to like grieving the end of a friendship? 
Yeah. Well, once you've determined it really is the end, because I mean, you know, the book that I have coming out speaks all about like conflict and our idea of, of like how we can be closer and how we avoid conflict. So as soon as something comes up, we run away. So I'm going to assume, you know, after you've done the work, after you've had a hard conversation, after you guys have talked about it, if you have arrived to a place where you're like, yeah, this is not going to work. I think I need to release it. If you've done all that and you decided that this is something that has an expiration date, there's a couple things you need to do to move forward in a graceful and healthy way. Um, because I see people releasing friendships the wrong way and it's causing new complexes in both parties, the way that you did it, the way that they were let go. And it's just nasty. And we bring that stuff into the next friendship. Now we've got a chip on our shoulder and it's just a mess. So a couple things. The first is to not have the mindset of because this person is this way. I'm going to cut her off, let her go. She's toxic. We use that word toxic a lot. And I prefer to use it to describe situations and not necessarily people. And then also making sure you differentiate between a difficult person and a toxic person. So it might be difficult that this person is always like, she's always talking about herself and she's really, really loud. It's annoying. All that's obnoxious, annoying, difficult. Toxic, meaning we are yelling at each other, berating each other, icing each other with a silent treatment, you know, blaming each other, things like that, where I have to like suppress myself in order to make her feel good. Now I feel small. That would be totally different. So first kind of identifying, it's not this person, let's not vilify the person, but unfortunately the situation doesn't work for what I need in my life. So instead of like, she's so this and that, so I'm moving on, try to focus more on us coming together didn't work for me. The unit did not work for me and I was not getting what I needed. So focus more on your needs as opposed to this person's problems. And that would be the first step toward moving forward in a really gracious, healthy way. Not about her, but what she was offering me was not what I needed in friendship. I needed more. The second thing would be to stop replaying and rehearsing. So a lot of times when we move on, we never get over it because we're one, replaying what happened. Oh man, if I only said this, if she only did this, if she could just, and we're, we're replaying. Uh, I always make the you know comparison to sometimes when you get a song stuck in your head, they tell you to force your mind to play the ending of the song and it'll stop. I would like to argue the same is true for friendships. Force your mind to accept it is over so you can move on instead of the constant rumination of what happened. Um, and then, you know, that's replaying. Then the next part is rehearsing. So that speaks to the future. So we'll say, you know, well, man, if I see her again, I'm, I'm going to let her know this. Or like, if I could just see her, then I would tell her da, 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 da. But for some of us, that wouldn't be helpful at all. It really is over. And so find a way to be present, which leads to tip number three. And I know this is easier said than done. And, and it sounds corny because we hear it all the time, but it's true is you are more likely to move forward in a healthy way if you can get to a place of gratitude and you'll be more likely to avoid bitterness as you talk about that friendship. And so as much as you can sit and identify two to three things you're grateful for, for that friendship, for the time it was in your life, the faster you'll be able to move forward with the healthy mindset as opposed to being really, really bitter about it. And so now it's been four years, you're still talking smack about her. You're still talking poorly about her to other people. And they're like, it's been four years because you're still like hung up. Even if it was like nasty, can you extract two things that you're like, you know what? Yeah, I am kind of bummed that it didn't work out, but I gotta say, like, I'm so thankful 
She was in my life during college because I don't know what I would have done if I did not have her companionship in that season of my life. And as much as you can start to think like that, the easier you'll be able to move forward without that kind of that mess, that tension, that bitterness. And so those would be like the three things I always say help you to move forward. And then maybe finally, like a tactical thing you can do, especially if it's raw and it's fresh, is to try to change your scenery. So especially if this is a friend who is heavily integrated into your like daily life, it becomes hard because that person's like your social life too. So when it's over, you don't know what to like do with yourself. And so changing your scenery, because if I'm doing the exact same things with the exact same people that I was doing, with this friend, then her absence is only more highlighted that I'm doing these things and there's this huge gap. So I've got to invite new things into my life. You know, maybe I finally try yoga. I've been talking about it, but I finally start going to a yoga class or I do it on a new side of town, but I have to switch up my routine in order to invite new people into my life instead of doing the same exact things I was doing with that friend which only emphasizes her absence now. And so I think between those four things, it helps us to move forward in a healthy way without that residual bitterness or confusion. Yeah. I have done the rehearsing part for sure. And that's so hard because I'm like, I reflect and I'm like, oh, this didn't need to happen this way. And had this just a small bit of communication would have happened months Mm -hmm. ago none of this would have happened. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not just for me, but as a mom for my kid, right? And this is a challenging situation because my daughter still has to see this child on a regular basis. And there is no ill will, right? Whatsoever. I love this person. I feel for this person. And I understand how it happened because I too did not have the communication skills. I think that's like such a big piece of this is like, We fear conflict because we, I think as a society, really have never been given the tools how to navigate conflict and how to communicate our needs. Because one, we don't like feeling uncomfortable. And two, we're afraid to hurt people, right? We're afraid to hurt people. We don't want to hurt people. And so instead, we'd rather just like cut them off or we would rather just like pretend everything's okay, which is actually doing a disservice to the other person. Because if the other person knew, you know, for however long that that challenge was there, they would have had the opportunity to change it and to do something about it. And, you know, I like the part that you said about like modeling the behavior that you want your children to see. You want your children to say like, this is a hard thing. This doesn't mean forever. It is just right now. Or, you know, whatever comes up, you want to be modeling for your children how to be a good friend and how to have healthy relationships. So that communication part, I think, is really huge. And I think that for so many of us, we just we don't have the tools to like communicate and advocate what our needs are in a healthy way. You know, we also don't have the ability for so many of us to like have the self-reflection, like, am I really needing this? Like, what do I need out of this relationship for it to continue to move forward? And if so, how do I communicate that effectively? 
Yeah. And we need to start seeing, you know, conflict for a lot of people from the very beginning makes us tense because, you know, I'm, I'm a coach, not a therapist. So I stay in my lane. Coaches help you with action steps and therapists can kind of help you like unpack the past and things like that. However, I do know that I don't know how, you know, conflict was handled in your home, but it really starts there. So if, if I was being, you know, shamed or yelled at for talking about my feelings, or it was, you know, a custom in my home to not talk about things like, let's just be cool. Or I just buy you something. And that means I'm sorry. And then we can move on, you know? So however was the norm in your home, we're certainly bringing that stuff into our friendships. I think a lot of us are surprised at how much personal stuff comes up when you're talking about friendship. Um, it's funny because even in one-on-one coaching sessions, a woman will start talking about like, okay, you know, why are we here today? What's going on? And like 30 minutes in after we're unpacking, unpacking, talking, it's like, oh shoot, this is rooted in something else. You know? So you think you're here about that friend who ticked you off. And as we talk, you realize something else is going on as well. And so, yeah, conflict is tricky, but I think if we start seeing it as like something that's actually really necessary in order to achieve the platonic intimacy that you're saying that you want, I mean, think about the people you're super close to. You all probably had some tense moments in conflict. Even when I say that word, I don't know if a listener is thinking about yelling and throwing things. That's certainly not what I mean, but maybe because of your experiences, that's exactly what you think. And so you're like, why would I want conflict in friendship? I'm not trying to do that. We're talking about healthy conflict, meaning I feel some kind of way about something, you feel some kind of way, or I'd like to go this direction and you want to go this direction. I mean, conflict is we can't decide on what movie to see tonight. That's like a moment, you know, it's like a level one, but that's, that's what we mean, that tension, because we're, we're not seeing something the same, but what happens on the other side of that? And so for the closeness you desire, conflict oftentimes is necessary for me to voice my boundary, or I should be able to say, okay, time out. Can we talk about what you said last night? Cause I don't know what you meant by that, but it made me feel some kind of way. I should be able to say that we talk about it. And then we go and grab drinks after. And that's totally normal. And I'm celebrating because she understands me better after this conversation, which means she can love me well. The goal should be, I want to love my friends well. I can't do that without data or information about what you need to be loved well. You know, recently I was having a conversation with a newer friend and she kind of threw out like something that she really likes that friends do. And I had to make a mental note of like, okay, well, that doesn't come naturally to me but she likes it. So I need to do that with her because she likes it. But I, I don't know how to love her well until she tells me that. And so conflict is good, that tension, because the goal is to understand my friend better so I can love her well. And if we start to see it like that, I think we'll be less prone to like leave or abandon or suppress because we're like, okay, we can work through this and it'll actually be good for us. But I know for a lot of people that takes a lot of like rewiring. Yes, it does again, like those feelings, I think it's hard to hold space for those icky feelings that come in, right? And it, and so that makes it really difficult. And so when we are presented with something that just makes us go like, you know, it's like, we want to shut down, we want to run away, we want to abandon. And at the end of the day, it's like, I have to realize that like, I value this person, and this is not worth losing a friend over. And so we're going to have this tough conversation. I think the important piece is to like unpack your own stuff before you have any difficult conversations that's in friendships and also intimate relationships. <laughs> and so, but yeah, I understand that it is really tough to do that. I think that for me, making new friendships, the, one of the easiest things that I did, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this was I think it really clear on like who I am and what do I like? Mm. I think this all the time. Like, who are you? What do you like? 
because so many of us don't know. Like maybe your parents forced you to play soccer your whole life and you actually hate soccer. Maybe they forced you to do ballet your whole life. Maybe you hate ballet or playing the violin or whatever it might be. We don't know like really who we are. I think that the journey of figuring out who we are really happens in our 20s and sometimes much later in life too. Many people live their whole lives and never really know who they are or what they want. But when you find the things that you do enjoy, finding friends who also enjoy those things, that's the key, right? It's like you have similar interests to mine. And so maybe this would work out. So maybe you do enjoy yoga and you go to the yoga class and you find a friend to do yoga with, (laughs) or maybe you enjoy playing cards or bunko or whatever it might be. And you have to put yourself out there. And that's that vulnerability piece that's so hard is like being vulnerable. And I've done this too. And I think that my, my life has been really public. So it's a little bit different where it's like, I'll meet someone and I'm like, you should just know all of the mess coming in, like right off the bat, like, here's the mess, take it or leave it. And I think a lot of people are like, whoa, you're a lot. And part of me is like, yeah, I am. And I'm also an amazing person and a great friend. You're going to like it or not. But I think I've realized too, it's like, it's okay to be like a slow drip and not a faucet. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That type of information. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. When it comes to vulnerability, we have to calculate a couple things. Cause I think we all, like, I know that that's like a buzzword right now, but I just want people to understand like two things. The first is there has to be a natural progression. So I need some kind of context first of your character before you can hit me with level 10 vulnerabilities. So it might be true that this person's really awesome. But if in our first interaction, she's telling me about all the things, I might never get to experience the awesome because I don't have any context yet with which to download that. Like I I don't have anything to measure that against. So now after maybe our sixth interaction, I learned something about a person that's kind of dark or vulnerable. I'm willing to withstand it because like I've also witnessed so many great things. It absorbs that or I can appreciate her or I know she's so much more than that, but she's given me time to like absorb it against other things I learned about her. You know, also it's okay to open up with some level one or two vulnerabilities before you hit people with the tens. And so some common 10 vulnerability topics are sex, addiction, money, you know, trauma, things like that. You know, typically people do reserve for further down the line because we're trying to establish a rapport and relationship first. And then it's like, okay, I feel comfortable sharing here, but vulnerability itself is very relative. And so that's why sometimes in the first interaction, we have somebody who dumps something that seems relatively uh, heavy. And we're like, oh my gosh, how could she tell me that? But Technically, it's not vulnerability for her. And this is what I mean. The best way I've heard vulnerability described is, you know, being willing to risk being rejected. And so if I hear somebody talk about, you know, their sex life with their husband, like in the first interaction, and I'm conservative. So I'm like, oh my gosh, that's kind of like, that's a lot, girl. I wouldn't do that. Well, for me, it would feel like a risk to be putting that out there. For her, it does not. So technically for her, that was not vulnerability her talking about her and her husband's bedroom issues because she felt comfortable doing it and did not feel a risk. For me, I would feel a risk involved of being rejected to open up something that feels so private. And so vulnerability itself is relative. And um, the last thing I'll say is I want women to be careful about doing the thing of, I'm going to dump all this stuff to see if you can withstand. And if you can, okay, here's the real me. Here's the rest of me. And vulnerability should never be used as a test or a weapon 
or a tool of like, okay, I shared, now you go. Like, uh, I'm going to say this thing and then you go. I have literally seen and been a part of conversations where a woman has shared something big and it's like, wow, okay, thank you for sharing that. And then it's like, okay, well, you know, you go ahead, you share something. And then it feels like, oh, you know, you elected to share that. And now I feel uncomfortable because I know that there's this law of reciprocity, like now it's supposed to be my turn, but I'm, I'm not ready yet but I also don't want you to feel like you just put yourself out there. And so there has to be like a natural progression. We're getting to know each other a little bit at a time. If somebody is vulnerable, I'm definitely affirming you. So, you know, you can share those things with me. I'm not judging you. You know, I'm not saying things like, wow, I can't believe you did that, you know, or things like that to make you kind of withdraw into yourself. And so it really is like, there's an art to it. There's an art to doing it. You definitely have to be with the right people. You know, they have to demonstrate that, you can trust them with that information and they don't see you differently. And it's big. That's really big. And so vulnerability is certainly required for platonic intimacy, but going into it slowly with the right people and sharing a little bit at a time to kind of, you know, see where they are is the best way to go about it. I think that then leads me to like the ability to hold space for our friends. Right. And like, that's really hard. You know, I have a friend right now who is just like going through it. And I don't consider myself to be a very judgmental person, but I find myself sometimes being like, God, if you would just do this, mm-hmm. it wouldn't happen anymore. <laughs> you know, and mm-hmm. this is what I'm thinking. And I'm like, you're not judgmental. Stay, stay present, stay grounded, <laughs> like be there for this person. But it is hard. It is hard because you know, we heal in relation to one another. And most of the times our friendships and our more intimate relationships are mirrors for each other of like the work that we need to do. And so it is hard being like an empathetic listener all the time to other people. You know, sometimes it can be like really triggering and really hard and bring things up. And it's hard to hold space for people sometimes. Yeah, that's it's it's tricky. Um, you know, I often talk about the the three expectations of friendship that set you up for disappointment. And one of them is that your friends will be your therapist. And I know some people disagree with me, and that's fine. I think that talking to your friends is certainly therapeutic. But the idea that, like, yes, I felt like, why do I need a therapist? Girl, I've got you. It's like because I'm not your therapist. I'm your friend. So like, even the advice I give you is going to be colored by how I see you as my friend and what I think you should do. Also, I'm not trained to have certain responses or question you in a certain unbiased way. I'm not equipped. And then as my friend, you've got the extra layer of life feel obligated to listen or tell you certain things. And so no, your friends are not your therapist. And some of us expect that they will answer exactly when we call. They'll know all the right things to say. They'll be able to help us through this really traumatic thing. And I thank God for fellowship, connection, and sisterhood, but we cannot expect it to be our savior. There's work that you got to do that is beyond your friend's capacity, but that doesn't mean it's like, oh, you weren't my real friend. If you were my real friend, you would come and rescue me from this guy's house every night for a month if you were my real friend. And it's like, we're all people. I have my limits. I I love you. But at some point, if I have to come and save you every week from something, we got to change something. I love you, but I have my capacity too. I love me too. And so we've got to figure that out, you know, and um, unfortunately, 
You know, even in the past, I would say week, I've had two sessions with women and, and we get to a point where I ask them, you know, there's a couple standard questions that I ask. And one of them is like, well, what, what do you expect? Like, what do you want from friendship? And it's always interesting to me when women say something about, well, people I can lean on, who I can call, they give me advice, they listen to me. And it's always about listening, supporting, guiding, rescuing, and they want that in friendship. I think friendship certainly offers that. That's one of the benefits of companionship is if I'm going through some mess, I've got some people who thankfully can like help me out here. But if I see friendship's sole function as emotional rescuing, and that's what this person should do for me, it does make me nervous uh, for that person, for their capacity, joy, their independence, their agency. If I see friendship as, well, I need friends because I need people to like dump on. And that's their job is like, they have to listen because, you know, one of the key ingredients of, of a strong friendship is positivity. And that doesn't mean that toxic, silly rainbows all the time stuff, you know, it's not helpful. But if out of our last five interactions, four of them, were you emotionally dumping, chronically complaining about the same thing, talking smack about other people? I need to reassure you. I have to like build you up. I have to like do confidence building with you. Like for eight out of 10 times we get together, you walk away feeling like, oh, that was good for me. I walk away feeling like that was exhausting. And that's my job in our friendship is to like constantly reassure you, hype you up, uplift you. And so we have to think about like, man, friendship is mutual. What is people's, I mean, this sounds harsh. What is people's experience of you as a friend? Was it uplifting for them? Is it positive for them? Or are you trying to use the people in your life as your source of rescue, clarity, you know, all those things, assurance, security? It's just, it's a lot. And so, yeah, like I'll go back to what we said about friendship brings up a lot of personal stuff, but hopefully you're, you're with people who are ready to do the work with you and who you can mutually support because you can't just be looking for friends to hype you up. Do you have the capacity in your life right now to be inconvenienced by middle of the night phone calls by a friend who needs help? You know what I'm saying? I I made a, a TikTok and it was just about like friendship contracts. So a lot of times we'll write down like everything we want in a friend and then you hand it over to her like, okay, here's your contract. This is what I need from you. And then if she's like, oh, that's so crazy. I have the exact same contract for you. We're like, yeah, no, I can't. I can't commit to all of this. And so it's like, really think about all that little list you're saying you want from your friends. Are you willing to do that too? And so I think that's just a good starting point of, of figuring out how we're approaching friendship. Are our expectations healthy? Are they realistic? And then finding the right people to, to go on that journey with. Yeah. And there's so much in this that I relate to. And I think that it is a balance, right? It's like, let's just unwind and like not talk about drama and go have a cup of coffee and just like laugh or let's go to a concert and just like turn it all off for the day or, you know, whatever you're into a sound bath, a yoga class, a concert or a coffee. It doesn't matter. It's like, let's take some time to just like not talk about the shit of our lives. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Ourselves, you know, I think that that's really important. I am so grateful for you coming on the podcast. You clearly have such a gift and I want my listeners to be able to follow along with you. So where can they learn more about you? And do you have a date for when your book's coming out? 
Yeah. So I appreciate you so much for saying that the book, like we just signed the deal maybe two months ago at this point. And so with publishing, it's always really slow. So they told me, they were like, yeah, we're looking at, you know, 2024. And I was like, oh my God, 2024. (laughs) But you know, that's how it works apparently. And so hopefully it'll be in a target near you in like two years. But in the meantime, everything is, is at our website, betterfemalefriendships.com. So, you know, I have a podcast called Friend Forward and every week, that's all we talk about is friendship, which lets us go like really deep into like really specific things. I mean, we'll even have an episode on like, should I block her? Or is that really dramatic? You know, which seems silly, but that's a game changer for some women's friendships. So we can go into like specifics on the show, but as far as like our courses and programs and things like that, it's all at betterfemalefriendships.com. And I really look forward to, to like seeing women over there and seeing them get over there and get what they need to, you know, start their journey toward better female friendships. Love that. Thank you so much for coming on. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. This week's affirmation is, I will be kind to myself and others today. And so it is. If you enjoyed this week's episode, do me a favor, follow along with us, leave a review. It means so much to me. There are new episodes of Recovering From Reality every Monday, and you can follow me on social at Recovering From Reality or visit my website, recoveringfromreality.com. 